Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine. Hang on, hang on Kevin, we've just, we've just got a tire alarm. You hear that? Yeah, I was thinking to myself, it would have been better to do at home, but I thought, no, the dog's going to be barking and... It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and uh, the things we can do for people and a planet. And we're having the interview in the middle of a uh, fire alarm. And uh, our guest today is evacuating, but luckily it's just a test. So bear with me and we'll get this one started. <laughs> Our guest today is Dr. Nigel Irwin. He's a senior lecturer at Charles Sturt University in Port Macquarie, Australia. Hopefully he's okay and he ev- didn't really evacuate. <laughs> Today's podcast is is not an emergency, but an important idea, a really cool concept. And it's something that uh, Dr. Irwin had published years ago in The Guardian and uh, showed some beautiful um, concepts in the sustainable production of chicken and chickens for egg production. And we'll discuss what this is when he returns in just a moment. If he returns. <laughs> Of all the fire alarms I've ever heard, it is among the most annoying one. And if you chose not to evacuate the building, it would probably drive you crazy to the point you would. You know, if you were one of those folks who said, I'm going to hunker down and go down with the ship, you know, couldn't do it. So this is one of the um, lessons that we learned from communication and from uh, uh, maybe podcasting is, you know, there's things you can control and things you can't. And uh, this is a great example of how we can. Oh, there it goes. He should be back in just a moment. I think he went and pulled the plug um, to get it to stop. I forget where I am. Again, talking from Canberra, Australia, and we're in the same time zone. So very exciting. Good opportunity to speak to somebody um, while being in the same time zone. Here he comes down. Here the door closing. Yes, we're good. We're good. I got on. I got. They just turned it off as I got to the box where they 
uh, and I caught the fella. He was just going to turn it off as I got to him, and he, and I said, "Could you not put that on for a little while if it's just a test?" Cause I've got this interview going on, and I think he was very apologetic. But <laughs> never mind. That's all right. Well, that's 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 um, you know, I I did a little bit of a intro to the podcast, and you know what we um. Uh, what we're going to talk about, but didn't go too much into depth of it. Egg production. Um, it's, it, it is something that's done on an extremely large, large scale and is really intensive because of the need for female chickens, so the hens. And um, so can you give us a little bit of background on why you would pursue the line of research you were taking on? Sure, I can do certainly do that, Kevin. So Egg production at the moment, well, egg production, females are the, the sex that lay eggs. And currently, the industry, both the layer industry uh, and the meat chicken industry, have breeding systems that produce chickens for for that purpose. So years and years and years of breeding have gone into producing egg layers uh, to do exactly what they do, to lay around 300 eggs a year. Uh, and so uh, the males, when they hatch, when chicks hatch, they're sexed at one day of age. Uh, and there are a couple of methods for doing that. And obviously they keep the females for laying eggs and the males are destroyed at that point in time uh, and and generally used for a variety of purposes including pet food um, <laughs> so that's that's what that's what happens because you know males don't lay eggs and there's you know not too much point in keeping them uh, it would be nice to keep them to raise them for meat chickens but that's currently economically not possible at the moment yeah, they're very different genetics, right? Like, so yeah. males that are, or bre- birds that are bred for meat are different uh, type than those that have been bred for eggs. So two very different things. How are they usually destroyed? They're usually destroyed by either rapid maceration uh, or carbon dioxide uh, asphyxiation or asphyxiation of some sort. Um, so the... Carbon dioxide asphyxiation really just puts them to sleep um, uh, and destroys them in that way. Rapid maceration is chicks are actually put into a, a, a machine which has very rapidly moving blades. Uh, and so in terms of welfare, organizations like the RSPCA and animal welfare organizations approve of that methodology because it's thought that death is more or less instantaneous. But it's still the idea of raising an egg, you know, you still have to incubate it. It takes time, takes energy, takes space. You have to have somebody who's doing the sexing because that's all done manually, isn't it? That's right. So it is done manually, Kevin, and there are a couple of different methods for sexing chicks at one day of age. So one method is to look at uh, particular breeds where feathers are different in males and females. So you can tell from the difference in the feathers. The other is to actually look at the vent in a chick. So you kind of turn it upside down and look at the 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 <laughs> the the genital tract, if you like, to determine whether they're male and female. That takes uh, a few moments to do. Uh, and then the chicks, the females are put to one side for egg production and the males are generally destroyed. 
And, you know, the idea of vent sexing is not trivial with a chicken. It's uh, with a chick. Um, it's I, I do it with ducks and uh, geese, and you can do it pretty easily at a day old. It's not too hard. But um, chicks are really, really hard to see. And so I bet they make a lot of mistakes. They they do make a lot of mistakes, and it's really a very – you need to be trained to do it, to be a vent sexer, and it it is almost an art, uh, and it takes a bit of time, and uh, it can cause the chicken's distress in itself and results in some losses to the industry. Yeah, they actually – with chickens, do they use some sort of an implement to kind of just open up the cloaca there? Is that what happens? I've never actually seen it. I've actually seen it done on, on, on videos. I've never seen it in real life. But I think many chick, chick sexes use their hands and their, 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 their thumbs and fingers to just open up the vent to have a look inside. Yeah, that's how you do ducks and uh, geese. Yeah. But I don't know chickens if that works that way. It doesn't. Uh, you, you push a certain way and you get a little, a little something pops out if it's a male. And uh, yeah. you can, uh, yeah, so, but anyway, that it's a little bit tangential, but the point is, is that this is labor intensive. And I know in the States is typically not attractive work to uh, examine the genitals of chicks and then destroy half of them. So no, it's it, not attractive to anybody who, who is in that industry, but um, I, I guess it's a necessary evil if you want to sort males from females currently. So what are the solutions that have been proposed to avoid this uh, necessity of sexing at, at, at birth? Well, there's been quite a variety of uh, methods looked at in the last 10 years. A couple that have significant promise are spectroscopy of eggs. Uh, Raman spectroscopy, which is infrared spectroscopy, I believe. And essentially what you do is you look using uh, a, a, an instrument which shines a light into the egg, and the egg has to be just – you have to cut a hole in the egg to do it uh, – and to, to look at differences within the egg. Another method is taking a sample of the uh, egg from the egg uh, uh, and looking at hormone levels, particular hormone levels in the chicks. You can look at DNA within the egg to help sex the chicks. Uh, or you can look at a, 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 another strategy which involves genetic modification of a, a chicken line to allow us to be able to determine the sex of, of the chick within the egg. Uh, and now, so there are various methods, and the problem with them is that they need to be very rapid and cheap uh, to compete with the, the the normal sexy methods that we have today. So they need to be automated uh, and quite quick to do. Well, that really is the the separator here, because if you have to begin to extract either DNA or, uh, you know, egg yolk or whatever to be able to check hormone levels, you're automatically losing. You know, it's, it's much faster to have somebody um, who's being paid minimum wage to be probing cloacas and looking for chicken parts. And it's, uh, it's so the idea of genetic engineering and some sort of a solution there is particularly attractive. One one thing that kicked this off for me was I watched a documentary by Jamie Oliver, who did uh, gave a 
a dinner for a lot of celebrities and showed you know he he cooked obviously chicken and showed how chickens were produced in the industry what he did he he gassed about 50 chicks with carbon dioxide and said this is a part of the egg production industry and it hit the press um and if you uh Google that, uh, you'll find uh, articles that actually there's, I can send you a link to an article which I think was in the Daily Mail in the UK about it. So it was fairly abhorrent to the public to watch this, but uh, as, as Jamie Oliver said, it's something that happens on a daily basis and we do this to millions of chicks. And that's really what kind of got me interested in the problem. And then the idea of the genetic modification came out of a tea room conversation where we sat down and said, well, how would you solve this using GM if you could do it? Now, I, I'm sure other people have done that around the world. Uh, and they've obviously thought, well, what, what's the idea? How will we solve the problem and, and, and come to the same conclusion, basically? He kind of raised that a few years ago, and I think that's put it in the public mind. We're stepping off into a really good direction. So we're speaking with Dr. Nigel Irwin. He's a senior lecturer at Charles Sturt University in Port Macquarie, um, Australia. And this is the Talking Biotech podcast, and we'll be right back in just a moment. The Talking Biotech podcast is a sole production of Kevin Folza. The opinions expressed are those of him and his guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the University of Florida or the faculty of the Horticultural Sciences Department, its staff, students, custodians, maintenance folks, ladies in the cafeteria, or anybody else. But then again, they probably do. It is science after all. Let it be said that this podcast is independent of the University of Florida in every way you can imagine, except that the host works there, at least for the time being. This podcast was recorded, produced, promoted, and distributed on personal time, using personal equipment, and personal hygiene products most of the time. The website and hosting are paid 100% by Kevin Folta personally. Now, as you might guess, there is a good rationale for having to make these very clear statements. Suffice it to say, the enemies of science and reason continue to exert unfortunate pressures that threaten the long-term sustainability of this educational vehicle. And now, back to the podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Nigel Irwin. He's a senior lecturer at Charles Sturt University in Port Macquarie, Australia. And uh, we're talking about the problem of chicken sexing. And can we better sex chicks um, before we have to destroy half of them? Dr. N Nigel Irwin's article in The Guardian drew tremendous attention to this particular issue and a genetically engineered solution which allowed this to happen before they were even hatched. So I won't steal too much thunder here, but what was the solution that you and other groups have proposed that use a genetic engineering component to be able to tell males from females before there's a chicken hatched? Well, the, the idea is, is, is not mine. This idea has come about from several groups in the world, 
um, working on this problem. Um, so it's not it's not unique to me. That's the first thing. Um, you create a, a, a genetically modified chicken with a marker, a thing called a marker gene in the sex chromosome. Now, in chickens, it's a little difficult because the, the sexes are reversed with respect to the chromosomes compared to mammals. So, but essentially what you want to do is to put in a, a marker and a marker gene might be something like a, a fluorescent protein gene, which is a common marker used in uh, biology today. It's a gene that encodes a protein from jellyfish, which is glows when you shine a light on it. It's called fluorescent green protein, and there are a number of fluorescent proteins around that produce different colors. And so if you put a popper gene into the sex chromosome in chickens, uh, such that males or females uh, glow when you shine a light on them, it may be possible to detect the presence of that gene within the egg uh, very early on in development to save incubating those male eggs uh, to term and then hatching them to destroy them. So those eggs can perhaps not be incubated at all uh, and taken out of the production system before they hatch. And it, it relies on a, a, a genetic modi genetically modified line of chicken, but actually the females that would produce the egg can be designed in the way we do the breeding to not uh, be genetically modified. Only the male chicks would be. Well, you, you mentioned the idea that females have different sex chromosomes than males, as you know, of course, in all animals and some plants. But whereas humans, the male is donating a Y chromosome that, you know, complements the female X and that female is two X's. How does it work in chickens? In chickens, the, the sexes are the other way around. So in chickens, we have what's called the ZZ, which is equivalent to, say, the XX in females in mammals. And we have the other sex, which is ZW, which is equivalent to the X and Y. However, the sexes are reverses, reverse. So the, the females are actually... Uh, ZW, they have the two different chromosomes, the Z and the W, uh, and the males have the two same, which are the Z and Z. So the idea of the genetic modification is to put a green fluorescent protein gene in or, uh, into the Z chromosome. Now you might think, why not put it into the, the W chromosome and that will mark female chickens uh, and only female chickens, but it it, it doesn't. So the best solution is to put it into the Z chromosome and do a, a clever little bit, bit of breeding. So if your uh, listeners have got a little bit of paper, if they write ZZ and mark a little asterisk on one of each one of those Z chromosomes to indicate that that chromosome is genetically modified, and they write ZW and, and also mark a little X next to that Z to indicate that it's genetically modified, then we have a genetically modified line where that gene is in the X. And it doesn't matter whether you've got males and females, they both have that gene. But we do a, we can do a clever little cross in which you take uh, females, which are the ZW from the genetically modified line, so Z, 
little asterisk W and cross them with normal non-genetically modified males. Out of that cross, what you'll get are females which inherit the, 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 the W chromosome from the, the genetically modified female. Uh, and a normal Z chromosome, a non-genetic GM chromosome from the male. So they're actually not genetically modified. So the females from such a cross are not genetically modified. The male, of course, inherits two Z chromosomes, one being genetically modified from the uh, female and one not being non-genetically modified from the male. So in that basis, you could have... Uh, female layers which are not genetically modified even though the process of producing them involves a genetically modified line. Wow, that's really cool. I kind of was scribbling here on paper as you were speaking and I couldn't at first understand how this would work, but it's really easy. The green fluorescent protein would be a dominant trait. It would be there because uh, if, if it's inherited, you would see it. Um, it, it glows. Yeah. And so this yeah. is really a cool idea because eggs are typically candled in production anyway, aren't they? They are. Um, I, I think that the, the technology that's required for detecting the expression of this gene, which would produce a protein uh, probably in the skin uh, uh, of the the, the chicken and you you don't see green fluorescent protein if you look to the chick that had this express you wouldn't see it normally uh, under normal daylight but if you shine a blue light onto it then it fluoresces so the idea is that you might scan the eggs with a laser at some point during incubation or even perhaps before they're put into the incubator for that 21-day period for them to hatch uh, and you pick up fluorescence so either the egg is fluorescent or it's not fluorescent uh, and you remove the fluorescent ones and keep the non-fluorescent ones which contain the females. Well, this seems like an absolutely brilliant idea to me. It seems like it's got all the right edges and angles and optics from treatment or the welfare of animals, and as well as providing a better economic situations for egg producers. So where is this technology at the moment? Where it's going and where it is, uh, we, we have not achieved that objective of obtaining a genetically modified line. My work in the past has really been looking at the uh, the technology in collaboration with a group in the US to uh, transform chickens uh, a bit more efficiently. It's quite difficult to genetically modify chickens. It's not a it's not a trivial process. There are a couple of groups in the world who I think have achieved getting a a, a green fluorescent protein gene into the Z chromosome, but at the moment uh, that work is uh, in in progress uh, and the technology that has been used to produce them is not quite perfect. Um, so I think there's a, also there's a, a reticence to take up this technology because there are people with perhaps good reason in some cases for not wanting to have genetically modified animals in the food chain. Uh, and so breeding companies who finance this sort of work to produce genetically, to produce breeding lines of chickens for either layers or, or, or meat chickens are not keen to quite adopt the technology yet. 
I mean, certainly scientists look at that and say people do have their uh, concerns about genetically engineering animals. But this seems like such a, a good gateway implementation of genetic engineering in animals because the end product is not genetically modified or genetically engineered, but you're using genetic engineering to solve the problem of destroying half of the chicks that are born you know on the planet for egg production it it, it is and it, it it would be great if we could achieve that uh but still i think there is a a, a worry that you might get chickens escaping from the genetically modified line uh and breeding outside of that uh, uh facility that produces them there's health concerns about you know if we genetically modify a chicken even though the chicken actually doesn't contain the gene are there any knock-on effects because the breeding's involved a genetic modified line and i think the only way to address those problems is to produce the lines and then to uh as with any uh, new technology, we have to investigate it very thoroughly to make sure that any eggs or, or chickens produced in this way, even if they're not genetically modified, are, are safe for human consumption. And, and that's a given. But the, 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 the problem is manifold. It's certainly an ethical problem because these chicks are destroyed and nobody really likes to eat baby animals or, or, or even destroy them. You know, the analogy is with the veal industry. The industry is not uh, great because people don't really want to eat a lot of uh, meat that comes from young animals and much less destroy them at one day of age. So ethically, it's not a good thing to do. Welfare is probably not so much of an issue if you take the view that that death is relatively painless or is painless and instantaneous. Um, but I can't imagine that globally there aren't some errors and problems with machinery that uh, carries out that process. The, one of the biggest pluses for this technology to the producers is actually the money they'd save uh, incubating eggs for the 21 days that are required for an egg to incubate and hatch. So eggs it, that uh, for hatch put in big incubators, it takes fuel, it, it, it takes electricity to power those. Uh, and if you can avoid uh, those costs, it almost halves your costs uh, of production of your layer chicks if you're not incubating the males. Well, that makes perfect sense that there is an economic incentive here. And the other side of this, too, is that when you're looking at uh, egg production in the industrialized world, you know, we may have standards in, uh, in certain um, checks in place. But there's a lot of places in the world that maybe lacks those standards a little bit. And, you know, in terms of welfare, maybe it's an issue there. I don't know. But in terms of uh, the idea, you, you mentioned the really important point of an economic incentive to do it correctly. But, you know, we started talking about where this technology is or where it maybe could be. Is there anybody advancing this at the moment? Uh, yep. Uh, there's a group at uh, CSIRO in Australia uh, by, run by Tim Doran, who are probably 
most ahead uh, in the technology for this strategy. Um, but again, uh, I, I think that their work has stalled to some extent uh, because of public acceptance um, of GM. Uh, and and that will change over time, I, I think. But it's it's early days. It's really, you know, what we have to do is to let people know precisely what's going on here in the way the chickens are created. What is what what are the changes that are being made? Uh, are there any downsides of this genetic modification which there aren't? really uh um and and then get them to understand the science to be able to accept this if you're talking about genetically modified products to save lives in terms of drugs people use genetically modified products every day insulin is produced in bacteria that are genetically modified uh, and people uh use that on a daily basis, so for, it seems that for health purposes, genetically modified, genetic modifi- genetic modification is is great. But when it comes to genetic modified organisms in the food chain, whether that's plants or animals, then it's a different it's a different kettle of fish or kettle of chickens, perhaps we <laughs> might call it. What what you just touched on is a really important difference. And we study this from a communication side. You know, why do people not care about injecting genetically engineered products into their veins, but uh, why do they not want it on their plate? And what it boils down to is the two ways that humans perceive information, that uh, medicine is perceived as hopeful and we process this intellectually. Um, Food is this, uh, you know, first level of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a very basal, fundamental thing. And we're very suspicious because someone messing with your food is is an emotional decision. And, uh, and, and so I think that's the real big differentiator here. But that's where this chicken thing kind of crosses the line. I think that this is a unique opportunity for science to uh, appeal to the higher angels and the intellectual capacity to say, you know, here is a way that we can stop the the needless destruction of half of chicks that are produced, and at the same time, um, be able to uh, have better economic outcomes for uh, producers and potentially lower prices for consumers who can eat eggs as an outstanding source of inexpensive protein. This seems like such a win win all the way across the board, and 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 I'd love to see it come to to reality. Yeah, uh, and and I would too. And there are benefits. Uh, you can say, well, okay, we 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 have these male eggs, and supposing that the best case scenario, we could detect them before they go into the incubator, so we don't even have to incubate them. What do we do with them? We just have uh, millions and millions of eggs, which are, are basically useless. Uh, and people are also looking at this problem. So why not use these? eggs that are genetically modified to produce uh, therapeutic proteins for medical purposes or to produce vaccines. Some vaccines are produced in eggs. So we, you know, it's not a waste of the eggs that are then not incubated containing the males. They could be used for, for, for different purposes, including medicines. I would just make a giant green fluorescent omelette. 
<laughs> well, uh, I like the I like the Doctor Zeus poem, "Green Eggs and Ham," because this always comes up to this. But you know, the the, the press get hold of it, and that that there are a couple of articles which the press got hold of and you get pictures of these brightly glowing green eggs produced by alien chickens and this is so far from the truth it it is just not funny what what people are trying to do is to solve a major issue which is uh, an ethical a welfare issue an economic issue you know saving that energy is going to help climate change uh, 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 and it's a win-win situation. It's just get, getting people to say, you know, this is not a bad idea. Let let's let's go with it. And as technology moves on, we maybe not looking at putting a, a green fluorescent protein gene into chicks. Let's look at maybe trying to, you know, look maybe use a different sort of marker. There are techniques in genetic modification now, which uh, you may have some pe- some of your listeners may have heard of, called CRISPR. And CRISPR is a very uh, clever, uh, very specific technique for getting DNA into particular locations in chromosomes in in animals and plants and bacteria and and anything you want to really. Uh, we can make very subtle changes of a few bases. If we can pick up those changes in uh, a particular sex, like the males, to be able to get rid of those eggs early on in development, then we've got a genetically modified organism which doesn't have a a green present protein from a jellyfish, which some people might find a little bit weird. Um, It may just have a small change, which we can detect in the egg, but it doesn't produce any... uh, proteins that wouldn't normally be found in a chicken uh, and so as that technology moves on there are new opportunities but at the end of the day we we have to consider these new technologies to to develop these lines yeah there's a lot of things that go through my mind like if you could ex- have a gene that is expressed in the uh, embryo conditionally that is lethal you know, dominant lethal. But, you know, the hard part there is you have to have it shut off in the uh, mature chicken or else you'll never get eggs. But, you you know, those kind of ideas seem pretty good that, you know, elevate the temperature and then it's lethal, but um, keep the temperature cool and it develops. Something like that. Be very easy to do. Uh, the group at Syro came up with a, they, they looked at a gene which uh, is involved in sex determination in 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 chickens called DMRT1. And it seems that if you reduce the expression of DMRT1 in a genetically modified chicken line, then you get more females to males actually produced. So one idea might be to, you know, uh, was thought to be, let's try and uh, drop the amount of expression of that gene to produce more females than males. Personally, there are issues with that uh, because it affects development. It's a key developmental gene. So not only do you affect the the ratio of sexes produced in any given population of chicken, there are some developmental issues there. And I also uh, have a problem with when we use genetic engineering to start changing something 
as fundamental as the sex ratio in a species, then I, I think we need to be very careful about whether we use that kind of technology to do that. Now, you can imagine many scenarios where that may be applied in certain ways that may not uh, be necessarily uh, ethical. So that you know, certainly raises an important point. There are some problems with the technology to be, be overcome. Okay, so the, the problems to, to be overcome there are actually, you know, getting a laser to scan an egg to detect fluorescence quickly. So I, I think that's certainly achievable, but at what age that chick would be uh, within the egg to be able to do that? Could you do it at day one or do, is it going to be day five or, or, or what? So there's that technology there. Um to 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 really get to grips with but I, but i think breeding companies who fund this sort of research really need to come to the party and say look this is a good idea uh we may not be completely on board at the moment because of public acceptance of gm but let's go down the line of making these lines let's put them into a, a small production system we look at the the, the benefits uh, and see where we go so what are the big bottlenecks of implementation of this particular line of research is is there even funding to do it Funding's very difficult to obtain for researchers in science these days, uh, and so we rely on industry for that, uh, probably more so than we do government funding now. So that's why my work stopped because it's it's just not easy to obtain funding for this particular uh, problem, and and in many many areas of science these days. Well, Nigel Irwin, I thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. If you know, what are you up to currently in your in your research? Uh, my research has changed a little bit. I'm I'm currently studying uh, bioluminescence in uh, marine bacteria, actually, because we live in beautiful Port Macquarie, uh, and it's really a, a, an interesting uh, looking at uh, bacteria that uh, produce light, uh, and they occur naturally in the environment and in, in the environment. Uh, looking why they're there and and how many are there and so on. So my my research has changed a little there. Uh, in terms of uh, if any people want further information on this, uh, happy to for them to to contact me. But a couple of things that are worth looking at are an article that I produced on genetically modified eggs and the title of that article is in the guardian would you prefer to eat genetically modified eggs or see day old chicks destroyed um csiro on their website if you look at chicken if you google chicken sex selection you'll come up with a, a, a an article on the csiro website which tells you exactly where they are in that um area there's an interesting article uh, on BBC uh, Scotland on uh, using eggs of genetically modified chickens to produce therapeutic proteins. And uh, yeah, they're, they're all worth looking at. They're all uh, interesting articles looking at genetically modif modifying uh, chickens. Uh 
Well, Nigel Irwin, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your thoughts on this. It's a really interesting problem and a really clever solution I hope we one day see. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. You know, share this episode with someone who maybe doesn't necessarily know the science, but is thinking about food and where it comes from. This is a really interesting opportunity for genetic engineering to touch an important, maybe ethical issue and something that all of us need to consider further. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.